0: Going to be looking in Exodus, continuing in Exodus chapter twenty. Exodus is the second book into the Bible, right at the start. Chapter 20. And I'll read from the first verse God spoke all these words I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So we've been looking at this over the past several weeks now. We've been seeing that God, having brought His people out of slavery, where they've been for generations, suffering, terrible cruelty and hardship, God has delivered them. He's brought them to this place, Mount Sinai, and there He's about to give them His law. He's going to show them how He wants them to live. He, uh, and as He uh, brings that law to them, He reveals to them something about His own character. Because God wants us to know who it is that we're trusting, who it is that we worship, who it is that we're serving and loving. He reveals Himself and He makes it clear that He's a God who speaks. He's a God, obviously, who saves. He's a God who saves for an exclusive relationship with his people and last time we were in this we were looking at those words I the Lord your God am a jealous God there in verse 5 a jealous God in the sense of wanting an exclusive relationship with his people that he he will not have rivals no other gods but one God because of the strength of his love then he goes on to say for I the Lord your God am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate Me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love Me and keep My commands. It's a difficult concept here, and one that I guess in many ways it would be more attractive to just jump over and go on to something else. God says He punishes the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate Him. But He shows love to a thousand generations of those who love Him and keep His commands. There are two things there. God punishing and God showing love. Every instinct in us would make us want to go for the second one, God showing love, and we'd rather ignore the idea of God punishing. And it's... We want the good news, but we find it hard to think that God actually has anger, that God actually punishes, that God actually would do anything that would make life uncomfortable for us. We want a God who just looks after us, loves us, comes up with what we need, when we want it, and nothing ever goes wrong. And we need to to understand who God really is. I've been reading recently in the book of Job, and not that it's, particularly relevant to what we're looking at here, but just one thing about this amazing character Job is his, his clear understanding of what God is like. And when Job has lost everything, cruelly and suddenly, it's one disaster after another. He, he says this, shall we not accept good from God and not trouble? And it says in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Shall we not accept good from God and not trouble? We know as a country, indeed globally, there are, there are problems at the present time. And who knows where the problems are going to end. And who knows, therefore, what difficulties we're going to come into. If our view of God is He only does nice things, then when things get difficult, we're likely to start thinking, where's God? Where's God? Does God really love me? And we might, if we're really immature, start getting stroppy with God. It's not fair. Hey God, why are you treating me like this? Job, having faced more disaster than any of us could ever imagine, says, shall we not accept good from God and not trouble? He's God. His wife is saying to him, curse God. He says, no, no, no. God gives and he takes away. May the name of the Lord be praised. God is a God who is bigger than we've imagined. And here in our verse, He punishes and He blesses. Both are true. So He speaks there about punishing the children for the sin of their parents for up to four generations. Let's get the impact of that. Punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate Me. He says, now, that word hate we need to understand. He's talking there not about an emotion, not about a feeling, but about an activity. It's in the context of other gods. You have no other gods before Me. You'll not make yourself an idol. What He's saying is I'm a jealous God. If you come up with other gods, that is the same as hating me, he says. We need to understand that it's, it's not an emotion. So when Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after him, wants to be his disciple, they've got to hate father and mother, wife, children, and indeed their own life. We can think that's difficult. How can, are we being told then to say to our parents, I can't stand the sight of you? Now, maybe kids, you might sometimes be outside. No, 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 no. We're not told to say that. No, we're told to say that to our spouse or whatever. It's not about an emotion of hatred. It's saying, you don't come first. God comes first. No other gods, no other idols, no other authority in my life. It's God. God comes first. So here, God speaks about those who hate Him, those who go after other gods, those who go after idols. And what He says is, He punishes that. So I thought about this. I thought that that again is a concept that we struggle with today. Then I began to think, why why do we struggle with it? Why is punishment an uncomfortable, unpopular idea? And I I, I sense it's because punishment implies guilt. It implies actual accountability. It implies that there are absolute rights. And wrong. And all of those things have got kind of obscured. All of those things have become kind of blurred. Largely because, as a nation, we've turned away from God. And if you turn away from God, then there is no absolute right or wrong. And there's no ultimate accountability. And no actual guilt. Everything becomes kind of relative. Well, no one's perfect, are they? And actually, it's normally someone else's fault. And so the idea of guilt has gone. And so now, because everything's kind of relative, if people do wrong, we need to re-educate them. We need to rehabilitate them. Or maybe a parent who doesn't believe in punishing their children, which is a very foolish action, but if you don't, uh, to, to not believe in it is foolish. But if, if you don't believe in, in, in punishing your children, you might say, no, we've got to just reason with them. And so those things have taken the place of punishment. But even seen the latest thing has been in the press, where in schools, where children are really difficult, they've come up with a brilliant scheme. Let's give them rewards when they show some improvement. So, read about going on adventure holidays, even being given an iPod for being naughty and just showing a bit of improvement. Because the smart kids then see, what I need to do then if I want one of these rewards is, I've got to start being naughty. And if I start being naughty, then I'll be lining up for a prize. It's crazy. Well, the world has gone mad because the world has turned away from God. And so this whole idea of punishment has gone out of the window. And there are parents who don't feel it's right to punish their children. They, they reason with them. No, there's, there's God is a good father, and he punishes. I'm a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. We dare not reinvent a God to suit ourselves because the real God has not retired. He is still God, and He hasn't changed, and this is what He is like. He punishes sin. He holds us accountable, there is real guilt, there is real right and wrong, and sin gets punished, and the punishment is not a light one, punishing to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Mercifully, that's not an unbreakable, unchangeable rule, because if you look at what is happening here, this... This word is coming to a generation that actually was going to go after other gods. And as the story goes on, they don't believe God. They turn away from Him. And it is just actually one generation that is punished because the next generation comes into the promised land. God is saying this is what He is liable to do, but He doesn't always do it. It's not that everyone gets punished for generations, but it can happen. And that's not just an Old Testament concept, we read about it in the New when Paul is introducing himself to people he hasn't yet met who live in Rome. He writes his letter to them, the letter to the Romans, and he speaks about the Gospel. The Gospel means good news. He says, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, I'm not ashamed of the good news. And then he goes on to say what this good news is. And he says something rather surprising. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. God punishes sin. And then he speaks about those who have rejected God and he says God gave them over. God gave them over to sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity. God gave them over to shameful lusts. He gave them over to a depraved mind and they've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Gossip, slanderers, God-haters. Insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. God giving them over. Now, I'd suggest to you, Now that is not just there in the pages of Scripture. It's all around us. We are living in a nation that surely has done precisely this. As a nation in history, we've had great privileges. Just uh, not this week that's gone, the week before I was on holiday. Mary and I were away and we're up in North Wales just love being there, out among the mountains, which are covered in snow. Uh, it's just great to be there. The depressing thing, and it just began to get to me the longer we were there. Everywhere you go, there are chapels closed. You can, wherever, in, you can go down one street and there are several of them closed up. And in, in, there in North Wales, and I've read the histories, and uh, I, I know what's happened in those places, that just... A hundred years ago, revival, God moving in power, whole communities turning to God. We were near the little town of Bethesda in North Wales. Bethesda is named Bethesda because right in the center of it, there's a big chapel called Bethesda. Then you go to another village called Bethel and another one called Hebron. All Bible names because God moved across that nation. Now, all closed down. And that's just... getting to me more and more. You think, as a nation, not just in Wales, but in the United Kingdom, we have known God moving in great power, but we haven't considered it reasonable to continue to worship God. We've come up with alternatives, and now, of course, multi-faith. We mustn't offend anyone who believes anything different, and we're not really sure that God exists anyway. And so now there are ads on the buses in London saying God probably doesn't exist. An advertising campaign to kind of counter the alpha, uh, the alpha ads. And so, yeah, that, that's our nation. And so God gives people over. And we're living in a nation that has been given over. And so this list of things here gossips, slanderers, God haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventing ways of doing evil. This is our nation. Senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless, disobedient to parents, the whole list. That's happening for generations. The third and fourth generation of those who hate me. This is not just here in the pages of Scripture. We're living in the reality of this. This is what God does. And it applies here and now. But it applies not just nationally It can apply personally. So, God says punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. That brings responsibility to parents. I know when we first became parents and uh, we got two little children, I I became profoundly aware of this, that my children were entirely likely to learn from me. (laughs) And that that meant that any sin that I tolerated in my life, any attitude that was wrong that I tolerated, they were likely to learn that. They were likely to absorb my value system, and they were going to see me at home when I'm not maybe performing in front of other people. They're going to see what I'm really like. They're going to hear what I say about people. They're going to hear my attitude to the church. They're going to hear my attitude to God. They're going to see the whole thing. And anything, I realise, anything that is undealt with in me is likely to then be reproduced in them. And I thought, wow, what a responsibility to be a parent. Sins of the fathers punished in the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate God. It is our responsibility as parents to make sure we deal with things quickly. We don't want our children, when we go home, for example, on a Sunday, to hear us murmuring about the church, criticizing them. Because they'll pick that up. And then we'll wonder, why, why are they not zealous for God? Well, they're seeing things. They're hearing things. But if they see us, zealous for God, pressing through with God... Just following God when times are difficult as well as times are good, they're picking up good values. And then they can go on with God. There's a responsibility here. And a particular issue that that God is addressing here is this whole matter of, one, going after other gods in verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. And secondly reducing God to some sort of idol. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. Either an alternative God or a reduced God. They are the two things. Treating God, in other words, as being less than He actually is. Either saying there are alternatives and there are not. Or saying He is less than He is. He is reducing Him to just an object, a man-made thing. These are the things that God says, that's hating me. And of course that is again what what Paul picks up there in Romans chapter 1 that we've already referred to. He he speaks of those as uh, they knew God, although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man. Birds, animals, and reptiles. Turning away from the real God to an alternative. Reducing Him. And it says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Reducing the immortal God to some created thing. And God says that's hating Him. And He hates that. So we need to make sure that the God that we worship, the God that we trust, the God that we believe in, is not a reduced God, not God-light, but God as is revealed in Scripture, a God who is awesome and they were aware of that as God is saying this to them, that about Him being a jealous God who punishes things because He has come down on Mount Sinai, and it says, He descended on the mountain in fire, smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, the whole mountain trembled violently, the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, and so on. They, they say God is frightening. God is awesome. He's a mighty God. He's He's to be treated then with respect. Humble respect. We will not, we will learn from from Job and we will not bring accusations against God. We will not slander his name. We will not stamp our little foot when, and get stroppy when things get, go, go tough. We'll say, you're God. We will fear God in a godly, appropriate way. He is the creator of everything. He is supreme over everything. He has immense power. If we ever think of anything that God can't do, that we're reducing him. The Bible says again and again with God nothing is impossible. And we've we've spoken about healing just earlier. If we think of any condition as being beyond the scope of God to do it, we're we're worshipping a reduced God. And God hates that. He is immense, powerful, supreme. His name is more powerful than the name cancer. His name is more powerful than death. He is God. He made everything, He is supreme over everything, He is powerful, He is awesomely holy. He is unchanging. His wisdom goes beyond anything that the wisest human beings could ever come up with. This is our God. And if He does good things, we praise Him. If things don't seem to be going well, we still trust His wisdom. When things are getting on top of us, we still believe in His power. He is God. And we will not cut Him down to size. We will not repackage Him or reinvent Him because He hasn't changed. And God says that when we turn away from Him, then He punishes that. But the problem is that human nature, being what it is, always tends to rebel against God. Human nature always tends to exalt ourselves and diminish God. It started right back at the beginning. You read about it in the early chapters of Genesis when Adam and Eve exalt themselves against God. And they even are stupid enough to think that they are cleverer than God. God says, don't eat the fruit of that tree. They think, but well, that's good. It's a nice tree. The fruit looks good. And it will make us wise. And, and we'll even know things that we don't currently know. No, God's got it wrong. God's not in when He says, don't touch that tree. He, God says, you will die when you touch it. And they think, no, we won't. They think they know better and lead the whole human race into rebellion against God. And since then, that's been human nature to rebel against God, to think we know better. The Bible says this, this and this. Oh yeah, but we don't believe that now. The Bible says, don't do this. Oh, but nowadays it is acceptable. The Bible says, do this. Well, no one else does, so we won't. And all the time we're thinking, we know better and we're reducing God and exalting ourselves which is why for anyone wants to become a christian anyone wants to be saved forever the first thing that we have to do in believing what god says is the bible says we need to repent and what does that mean repentance is when we say god is right in all that he says and i am pitifully wrong that's repentance, a change of mind. God is right in all that he says. And I, however intelligent, however many degrees, A-levels or whatever we happen to have, we are wrong and God is right. We furthermore say God is great in all his ways and I am pitifully small. We, we put ourselves down and we exalt God. Repentance is a change of mind. We agree with God against ourselves. And that's it's so important. Otherwise, we're coming to a God who is not the real God. We live in a generation that is self-absorbed, self-indulgent, where we blame shift. And then we see the example of that man Job who refuses to blame God. And he... Although he's, he's lost everything, he's in pain, there's emotional pain, anguish, he believes God. But that's foreign to our generation. We'd rather say, no, we're right, God's got it wrong. No, repentance is when we say, God's right. Now, I will submit to Him. Now, I'll follow Him. And I will praise Him. Come what may. You look at the Apostle Paul and he says, to, I've learned what it is to be in need. And to have plenty. He said, I, I've known good times, I've known bad. He says, but I can cope with all of that through him who gives me strength. And he said, I, I've learned to be content. When things are bad, when things are good, why? Because he's committed himself to God. God then wants us to know who he is. And he wants us to see his immense power, his uniqueness. There are no alternatives. And he says, if we go after alternatives, then... He punishes. And that can go on for generations. But, and verse 6 begins with that glorious word, having spoken about God's wrath, God's anger against sin, but, it says, He shows love to thousands. The word generations has been added in for the translation. He shows love to... To myriads of those who love Him, keeping His commandments. And the whole way these two verses is structured is to put the emphasis on verse 6. Not in any way to negate what verse 5 says. We need to understand, verse 5, God is a God whose wrath is against sin. And Paul is very careful to say that in Romans chapter 1. He says, I, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. He said, this good news is God's power to save. And where does it start? It starts with the wrath of God. So we need to understand that. We need to understand that punishment is the outcome of sin. But, the story doesn't end there. If God... Punishes sin to the third and fourth generation. He shows love to thousands of generations. He is more enthusiastic about blessing than he is about punishing. The whole emphasis here is, uh, is to show us where God's preference lies where His enthusiasm is, where His passion is. God is not enthusiastic about punishing. But He is enthusiastic about showing love. He does punish, because holiness requires that. But His enthusiasm, His passion, His preference is to show love. Now, we need to understand the reality of our sin and the fact that we deserve punishment if we're ever going to appreciate the wonder of the fact that God actually wants to show love to us. If we've never understood our need of punishment, then we'll say, well, if God shows love for us, well, that just shows God has got good taste. That's not what it's about. We deserve punishment. But God loves to show love. He's passionate about it. He's enthusiastic about it. And you see the the difference of degree. Punishes to the third and fourth generation. Showing love to thousands. Or this translation says thousand generations. Myriads of those who love him. And again, to refer to what Paul says in the letter to the Romans... And incidentally, there are always people out there who are trying to be smarter than everyone else. And they're trying to pick up, what am I likely to preach on next? And I'm just aware that having made a number of references to the letters of the Romans, some will be thinking, ah, I wonder if that's what we're going to look at next. Well, who knows? Keep you guessing. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 17 notice the contrast here paul is speaking about what adam did and what christ did adam sinned and took the whole human race into sin christ died for us and brings us into relationship with god the two key men in history adam and jesus christ and he says in romans 5:17 if the trespass of the one man if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? You see, he's comparing Adam, the consequences of Adam's action with the consequences of Christ's action. Adam's action led to death reigning. Christ's action, well that's got this matter of how much more Does God's abundant grace cause us to reign in life? There's this. There's a difference of degree. God is enthusiastic about blessing people, and the chapter five of Romans says uh, in verse twenty, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, so grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin increased. Grace increased all the more. God's preference is to bless. And His blessing overflows. It's massive. It's mighty. You see, Paul is kind of struggling to find words to convey how grace Super abounds, he's saying. Yeah, God punishes sin. But it's like God is very careful to mete out punishment. But extravagant in meeting out blessing. That's our God. We deserve punishment. But He overflows in mercy. Not to everyone. But notice what it says back there in in our text in Exodus 20. Showing love to thousands of those who love me, keeping my commandments. This is not universal acceptance. This is not unconditional acceptance. In fact, there are two groups, always, there are two groups in humanity. There are those who will be punished, and there are those who will be loved. Two groups. Those who will be punished are those who reject God. Those who hate Him, it says. Those who say, no, we have an alternative. We think we know better. We are quite happy with how things are. We're happy with ourselves, and we have no desire to ever bow the knee to God. They face punishment. But the other group are those who know God's lavish love, those who love Him, and that love is not just an emotion, it's an activity. Keeping God's commandments. A whole change of life. Two groups. Again, the New Testament says the same. We need to be so careful when we're reading the Old Testament to make sure that we don't just pick up something that is the Old Covenant, is law. No, we need to always see, does the New Testament say this? And in John chapter 3, verse 36, it says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Two groups. Those who have eternal life and those who face God's wrath. And the difference is believing in the Son. Because the fact is that we cannot naturally of ourselves. We can neither love God nor obey Him. It does not come naturally to us. In fact, it is impossible for us in and of ourselves to either love God or to obey Him. There is an inbuilt rebellion against God. There is even a hostility towards God that that we are born with. Every child that is born is born with an inbuilt prejudice against God, which will manifest in all kinds of ways. People can even become religious, but they will still rebel against God. People can be devout, but they're still rebelling against God because believing God means believing what He says, and people rebel against the Word of God. So we can't naturally love Him or obey Him, which is why Jesus said we need to be born again. A whole new, real, radical start. Jesus said that to a mature man, and the the guy who he said it to couldn't understand. He said, am I supposed to get back into my mother's womb and be born again? No, Jesus said, no, born of the Spirit. You're born of the flesh, naturally, that's your your normal birth. And now we need a new birth where the Spirit of God brings new life into us. And that new life, when we are born again, means we love God, and we demonstrate we love God, By obeying Him. It's as simple as that. It's a new life. The rebellion is gone. The hostility is gone. So we come to a new life that we now live by faith through the power of the Spirit pleasing God. Honoring Him. Respecting Him. Humbly submitting to Him. Not saying, I want another God, but I love God. And yes, He is right in all that He says. He is great in all of his ways. I submit to him, and I'm following him. That, that change changes everything. Now, of course, Exodus 20 is spoken to people who, in Old Testament terms, have been saved. They have seen the power of God bringing them out of slavery. But in their hearts, they haven't submitted to him. And we see time and again in the New Testament, warnings to God's people. It's so easy for us, all too easy for us. Having been born again, having repented, having come to faith in Jesus, then as time goes on, we kind of just lapse. We start absorbing the the values of people around, the opinions of people around, and, and things change, which is why we need warnings like this. God is a jealous God. He wants an exclusive relationship with us. And he punishes sin. Now we move from the realm of punishment into the realm of blessing through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we live like that. Living by faith in the true God. A God who punishes in absolute justice. But loves lavishly in overflowing mercy. And there are no limits to God's love. Therefore, it is so foolish to not take God seriously. And it is so foolish not to prize and treasure His grace. God calls us then to be serious about who we are, where we are. To make sure there are two categories. There are those who will be punished and there are those who enjoy God's grace. There are those who will die, there are those who will live. We need to see which group are we in. And if we're in the group of those who for whom punishment has been dealt with by Jesus on the cross, He was punished in our place, we have received that. We've been born again. We're now in the category of God's grace. Then let's have the biggest possible concept of what God is able to do for us. Let's, Let's enjoy God's grace. Let's not reduce God. Let's not cut Him down to size. Let's not limit His ability. But to say, I, I treasure God. I'm so thrilled. His punishment has passed away and now I'm in life. Now I'm going to enjoy God and believe Him. Whatever happens in the world around, I'm believing God. And by believing God and walking with God, I'm kind of walking through life in my own oasis. Desert around. But blessing Because I'm in, 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 in the grace of God. God, the real God, punishes sin. But He loves, He shows love to myriads of those who love Him and keep His commands. The question for us this morning then is, which category are we in? Are we under God's frown or His smile? in the realm of punishment and desperate destiny ahead for us, of just endless punishment. or oh, wonderful grace. And of course the good news is, if we're in the wrong one, we can cross over today through faith in Jesus. We need to be born again. And if we're in that second category, then there is no limit to what God will do for us. He is enthusiastic about loving. He's not reluctant to bless. Notice the extravagance again. We say it, myriads, thousands of those who love him. Not just one or two generations. But great blessing. Who knows what God wants to do here this morning. And we've already said about God wanting to heal. I believe also God wants to save. But in terms of healing, whatever condition you are here with, Don't think it's too strong for God. Sometimes people say, have you ever heard of anyone ever being healed of that? It's not medically possible. Yeah, well, that's a challenge, isn't it? But not a challenge for God. If God can raise the dead, if God can create a universe by just saying, "Let, let it be, there is nothing that is too hard for him. Two categories. Punishment or endless covenant love. Which are we in? And if we're in his endless covenant love, let's believe it. Let's receive it. So let's pray.